Hella Black. On this episode of Hella Black, we got Jalil Mutakim speaking at People's Programs, where he's talking about Black August, uh, commemorating our martyrs, and how we can become our own liberators. So tap in, make sure you go to our Patreon, patreon.com slash hellblackpod, or Spotify, Apple Podcasts, be sure to subscribe. Free to people, free to land. was what? Anybody know? Emancipation Proclamation. Right? And that's the point in time where chattel slavery was supposed to have ended, right? In this country. A lot of us don't know that slavery continues today, right? In the penal system, right? That was in 1861. In 1865 was the 13th Amendment of the United States Constitution, right? The 13th Amendment of the United States Constitution state in part, and I'll paraphrase, Right? The slave and voluntary servitude should not exist in the United States except in the United States or its jurisdiction except for those who have been duly convicted of a crime. Duly convicted of a crime. There's an exception clause in the 13th Amendment of the United States Constitution. And the exception clause speaks to one thing, one thing only, that slavery in the United States has not been abolished. Right? It's important that we understand it. It's important that we understand language, right? uses of language. In this instance, we have called the prison system, right, a prison system for rehabilitation and for reform and, and things of that nature, right? But we have to understand the prison system is, in fact, an institution to maintain a kind of condition of people, right? Whose people? Black, brown, indigenous people, right? People of color in the United States, right? Another thing we have to understand in terms of that, understanding that is this. How, to what degree have we been traumatized? Right? That's really what I want to focus on today, right? Issue of traumatization. Why? Because we all have been traumatized. Right? 400 years of white supremacy for black people in this country. Right? 500 years for Native Americans, indigenous people, of white supremacy. Are you going to tell me in 400 years or 500 years that we have not been traumatized? Right? That we have not been systematically degraded, dehumanized, and our value diminished? 400 years? And what have we done? This idea of assimilation and integrating into a system based upon what? White supremacy. In the latter years of uh, Dr. Martin Luther King, he began to question his movement, the civil rights movement. Right? He began to question his, his goal and objective of integration and assimilation in the civil rights movement. Right? If you ever had an opportunity, listen to his, uh, his speech, uh, The Other America. Right? Very important speech. Another America. But then he really, really gets into an understanding that this system that we live in is not for, it's not working in the best interest of black, brown, and indigenous people. Right? And so for, for us, it is important that we begin to decolonize our thinking. That is, of course, if you recognize the fact that you've been traumatized by a system. Right? 
A system that they actually, in, in, in all due respect, don't even want you. All right. I'm going to give another example of what I'm talking about. I'm going to jump around a little bit because I want to get to certain understandings here. Right? 1968, right before Dr. King was murdered, he went down to Memphis, Memphis uh, for a sanitation strike to support sanitation strike workers. Right? And those sanitation rights uh, 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 workers had a body placard, right? Full body placard. What did it say? Anybody know? I am a man. I am a man. <clears throat> I'm a man. This is 1968. Why would black people, black men, need to wear a body placard, right, on issues dealing with their own work, sanitation work, for workers' rights? Workers' rights. Why? Because they have been dehumanized, degraded, and their value has been diminished. Forty years later, 40 years later, a slogan about a hashtag comes out. What was the hashtag? Black Lives Matter. What does that inform you? What does that tell us in those 40 years period of time? Right? Nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. Again, once again, we have to raise the idea that we matter, that our lives matter, that has meaning. Right? Why? Because we live in a system of white supremacy that continues to deny our humanity. Continues to deny humanity. To the point where we have normalized that reality. We have normalized into a reality. Normalized it, right? Dr. King said, maybe there's a problem with this integration. Maybe there's a problem with this idea of assimilating. What are you assimilating into? What are we assimilating into? Right? You're assimilating into a system of white supremacy. Why would you want to do that? Why? It bothers my mind. It bothers my mind. And many of us trying to continue to assimilate into a system that don't want you in the first place. Never have, never will. Never have and never will. Why? Because they have that. <clears throat> Let me put it this way. There's a, a psychological book, right? DSM, I think it's called, right? And in that book, they have one category of mental illness. Right? Superiority complex. They say superiority complex is a mental illness. Stay with me now. Superiority complex is a mental illness. So how does that correspond with or juxtaposition with white supremacy? How does it? Because white supremacy believe that they are greater and better than anybody else on the planet. Is that true? Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. That's what I, I stand to be corrected. I ain't no problem with that. I stand to be corrected. If I'm wrong, tell me I'm wrong. Hey, you look, you're, what you talking about? You're crazy. Yeah, I'm crazy. Yeah, I must be crazy. I've been assimilated into a system of craziness. No. You understand? And so what we have here is a worldview, a worldview, right, that's dictated by a system of capitalism. Now, let's go back. Let's go way, let's go further back. Right? Let's go to 1492. 
like this, smiling. He, he likes what I'm talking about. I see you. You heard what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about, right? 1492, Papal Bull, right? By Pope Frederick VI. Right? And that Papal, you can go and look it up, right? Go to your Google and your whatever. 1492, right? Papal Bull. And in 1492, the Papal Bull issued that the Portuguese and the Spanish could go around the world and conquer anyone who's not Christian. To identify them as being heathens. Right? That's what they did. Right? That's the first point of the idea of imperialism. Colonialism and neocolonialism began to take hold as a not only a philosophy but a way of life. I say that, right? I say that the system that we live in today is a way of life. Now let's bring it back a little bit more contemporary, right? In terms of this country that we live in. Alright, so we got 1492, right? And 1492 established a popular book that first created the conditions from which uh, a group of people had the belief system, because remember this coming out of the Pope, coming out of Christian uh, philosophy or Catholic philosophy, right? That they have the inherited right to go and conquer other worlds, other peoples, right? To enslave other people. All right? Now here we are, the United States, 1776. Mm. And years later, right, we come up with an idea called manifest destiny. Tie this thing together, tie it together now. Connect the dots. Here in the United States, we have an idea that we've been raised to believe is true, logical, rational, but it's a lie. Manifest destiny. The United States has manifest destiny to do what? Conquer the world. That they have inherited right to conquer the world, to oppress other peoples. Right? And then they build on that with the idea of what they call the Monroe Doctrine. Connect the dots. And this is what we are confronting today. This idea of manifest destiny, the United States and Monroe Doctrine. And that's the reason why, that's the reason why I make the argument, the foundational argument, that we have to decolonize our thinking. Decolonize our thinking, right? That we have to engage in programs like the People's Program for the purpose of empowering our communities with the idea of separating ourselves from this existence of white supremacy and all of its manifestations. And all of its manifestations. So, one manifestation, right? 13th Amendment. Right? 13th Amendment, 1865, 1865, right? Ended chattel slavery. Right? So, chattel slavery said that you as a person, particularly white people, cannot hold other people as property. Right? That's what they said. They left in there an exception clause. Except for giving duly convicted of a crime. And then what did they do behind that? They created the black codes. Right? Created Jim, law, uh, Jim Crow laws. And other forms of means which you can usher people into this slave system, a new slave system. So they said that, okay, we cannot hold people as property, but the state can. The state holds people as property. Wait a minute, you know what you're talking about, say hold people as property. Hmm. Ruffles versus Commonwealth. Look it up. Write it down. 
Check it out. Russell versus Commonwealth, right? Supreme Court law. Still on the books. Still precedent. And it states that prisoners are slaves of the state. That's law. And you couple that 13th Amendment, the United States Supreme Court law, right? Prisoners slaves of the state. And then let's take two, let's take two contemporary days now. Let's go. Let's go here. <clears throat> School to prison pipeline. See how they back me? See how they got us deluded and not understanding what's going on? When we're ushering our kids into a slave system, they're creating conditions to usher our kids into slavery. That's why we have to be on the bridge. But they continue to create new laws, new dynamics from which they can continue to contain and control our people, our population. Right? To continue to reinforce the idea of what? White supremacy. In all of its forms and manifestations. That is the gist of our struggle. That is the heart of our struggle. Right? To divorce ourselves from anything and everything that dehumanizes, diminishes, devalues the humanity of black, brown, and indigenous people. If it does that, abolish it. Now, I live in Rochester. Rochester is the home of Frederick Douglass. There you go. Somebody holler. Frederick Douglass, right? The greatest abolitionist that we know in our contemporary time. All right? And so I identify myself as an abolitionist. I also identify myself as a revolutionary. I identify myself as a Muslim. All right? Now, why do you identify myself as a revolutionary? The first step was a revolutionary. It was an abolitionist. All right? We take the word revolution. I want to say this to all you all, right, who are here today. But I want all you all to become revolutionaries. Right? Take the word evolution, revolutionary, take the R off, what word do you have? Evolution. Evolution, right? So what does evolution mean for us as a people, right, as a human species on this planet? Right, we evolve, right? In time, we evolve, right? Given social economic conditions, environmental conditions, we as a human species on this planet evolve. Sometimes it's necessary to put the R back on. Get it? You get it? Huh? So we all should be revolutionaries if we want to evolve from one state of existence to a higher state of existence, to a greater state of existence. Right? Let's become evolutionaries and when necessary, put the art back on. Right? Because they are extreme, they are extreme about keeping us oppressed. Dr. Martin once stated that. Um, I paraphrase, right? There's no problem being an extremist, right? No problem being an extremist if you're being an extremist for justice, for righteousness, right? So I'm an extremist. I believe in justice and righteousness. And where I find that being crushed and diminished in any kind of capacity, I got something to say about that. You all should have something to say about that, right? Okay, this is where we are today. I'm giving an example. Ongoing example. I live in Rochester. I work for an organization called Citizen Action. It's a nonprofit 
Uh, it does good work. Okay. And I am special coordinator, special project coordinator for Citizen Action. And one of the things I'm trying to do is halt the school to prison pipeline. Right? And I exhort you all, whatever capacity you possibly can, do that. Make that a priority to halt the school to prison pipeline. They're trying to close down private schools, or public schools in this country. Right? Trying to privatize schools in this country. That's the reason why we find our schools being so tore up in our neighborhood. Right? And as a result, our kids, our babies being shut into the streets. And what happens when we get into the streets? We get involved with criminal activities, right? For various reasons. And that ultimately ushers them into the penal slave system. It's deliberate. It's intentional. They have tanks that think, I heard from all the poems, and tanks that think once on my think tanks. Right? That plan out these kind of dynamics, right? Essentially dictating how the world's going to be evolving, how the world's going to change or not change for the benefit of 740 people or 740 families. What families are you talking about, Jim Bill? The billionaires that control the wealth of this country. Google it. 740 billionaires in this country has accumulated wealth of $6.2 trillion. All the wealth of Western Europe. Here in the United States, 740 billionaires. All the wealth of Western Europe. And we are complicit. Complicit in allowing that to happen. Right? They control the wealth of this country. And we are fighting for what? The crumbs off their table. Literally. Literally. And they have us divided by class and race. Class and race. Right? We got 330 million people in this country. 740 controls $6.2 trillion. Right? And we're fighting over welfare and, and what? Pennies. Pennies. Right? That's what we're doing. We have to wake up. We have to open up our eyes and look at the reality of our situation. Right? As George said, what? People are dying. Come say, what did say again? Half butchered lives. Right. That we live in a state of fascism. Right? And it's becoming even more obvious. Right? We are evolving into a police state in this country. It's becoming more obvious. Right? They're killing us every day. We don't always hear about it. Every day, a black person, a brown person, this is being murdered by the state. Right? Or we've been ushered into the penal system, penal slave system. So I wrote a book called We Are Liberated. Wrote this 21, 22 years ago, right, while I was in prison. For those who didn't know, I did 49 years. All right, when I was 19, didn't come out until I was 60. All right, 69? <laughs> 69, right? And all the time that I was in, I organized. That's how I maintain my sanity. I tell people, I say, they have my body in prison. They never have my mind and spirit. 
by law's decree, right? by God's decree, right? kept me sane, like kept me being involved and engaged in the struggle. Now, if I can do it inside the attention, why come you can't do it out here? How come you can't contribute? How come you can't be a boss? All right, let's use this word, these gangsters' words. Huh? How come you can't be a boss? <laughs> How come? You can. You have to have the will to do so. The will. Right? In the book, I talk about, there's a chapter in there called Commitment is the Key. Commitment is the key. If you don't have a, if you're not committed, as one might be to in a relationship, right? In order for a relationship to be maintained, you have to have some commitment. Is that correct? Right? Marriage or partnership, whatever the case may be, right? You have to have a commitment. You got to be committed. Not only you got to be committed, you got to be willing to put in the work. Right? And it's the work of, based upon the idea of what? Love. Love. Jacob Rare once stated that he said, he said, it might sound silly for me to say this, but revolutions are motivated by a strong sense of love. Of love. I love my people. Dearly. Dearly. I want to sacrifice my life for my people. Dearly. I tried. Well, I was the honest. I tried to sacrifice my life. But you get the point. Right? In 49 years in prison. And while I was in prison, what I continued to do? Continue to love my people. Continue to give as much as I could to my people. Right? Because I understand the system of white supremacy that we're engaged in. I understand the system of, of capitalism. Capitalism is based on two major principles, two major ideas. Uh, the lessons in the story, right? Two major ideas. Individualism and competition. Two things. He says also exploitation. I give him that. What is the opposite of individualism and competition? Huh? Unity and cooperation. So that's what we have to begin to believe as a method for us moving forward and raising up our own humanity. Because capitalism does not raise up our humanity. It denies it. And that is the capacity from which we can love one another. And what? In evolution. I mean, revolution. I mean, evolution. Stick with me. Alright? The evolutionary process of where we begin to grow in our own self, in our own humanity, and evolve in the level from which we understand ourselves in terms of our needs in this society. Not only in this society, but on the planet. The United States is engaged in warfare against black, black, brown, indigenous people around the world. Around the world. We're complicit. Why are we complicit? Because we're silent. Our silence allows us to be complicit. Our silence makes us complicit. But we're not fighting back. I, was there, I did a webinar, I'm, I'm like, again, I, I, I skip around a lot of places and try to tie it all together. I did a webinar not long ago uh, with some comments on the international, international community. Right? So I'm trying to build our, our relationship with the international community uh, in terms of those who are also fighting against the same system that we're fighting against. Right? 
And I told them, I said, listen, if you want to understand the nature of our struggle to build a new international, then you need to realize that your freedom is based upon our freedom. And I'm going to get some hardcore stuff right now. It's based upon our freedom. Why? Because we're in the belly of the beast. The belly of the beast. Right? So I gave him an analogy of, a, of an octopus. Right? And he said, the octopus is spread, got his tentacles all over the planet, sucking up the resources, sucking up the labor, sucking up the wealth from different people around the world, primarily black, brown, indigenous communities. Right? That's his imperialism. Right? And, and sometimes those countries, right, get into engaging in colonial warfare or neocolonial warfare, and they cut off that tentacle. They cut it off, boom. They get free for a period of time. Right? And, I, and what happened in, in Chile, if anybody knows the history of Chile, Salvador Allende, right, and the Socialist Revolution in Chile. And it only took a matter of time before they was able to have a coup, right, as they almost tried to do here in the United States for the right wing, but something else we can talk about. Uh, <clears throat> and, uh, and they put in, in place this guy named Pinochet, a fascist. So now they began, again, having to establish a new revolutionary determination in Chile to other parts of South America. And they are doing so. Right? I got a webinar going to be on the 14th with the Congress in Venezuela. Right? We're going to talk about that internationally. Right? <clears throat> and so what we, what we come to understand is this here. If we don't cut off the head, then the world will continue to suffer. That occupants with new tentacles, right? And continue to exploit other peoples of the world. Other, other, uh, other people of color around the world. We'll continue to do so. Reaping the profits. For who? The 740 billionaires that control the wealth of this country. Understand what I'm saying? Right? But we get some of the value, some of the, the goodies. All right, from those exploitations, those imperialist wars. But the majority of them goes to the 740 people. All right, the capitalists who controls the wealth of this country. All right. So I told them, say, listen, we support you all in your struggle. We have been doing so, like Palestine, right? like Venezuela, like Cuba, like China, like Vietnam, like Korea, right? and other parts of the world, like Africa, South Africa, right? Mozambique, Tanzania, Namibia, Namibia, Angola, Guinea-Bissau, right? Other, other countries have fought against the United States, like Britain, the Portuguese, uh, uh, the Spanish. Those who have remember, who I got in 1492 told what? Those, yeah, those. It's a long trajectory. It's a long history. Long history. And we've been engaged in the struggle. We've been fighting. Right? And why would they have not succeeded? Because we here have not come to have grown the will to fight back. Right? We have periodic, periodic episodic struggles, which we engage in certain insurrections like Watts or Detroit, right? Uh, 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 here in Oakland, San Francisco, right? Rising insurrections and so forth. We're fighting back. Police kills one of us. We get upset go burn down the town, right? And they go back to business as usual, right? They go clean it up, get a few jobs, and begin to continue to oppress you, 
So I told them on international, y'all got to support us. But we're in the belly of the beast. Right? And if you want to be free, you're not going to be free until black people are free. The world cannot be free until black people are free. I'll say it one more time. The world cannot be free until black people are free. Period. Period. There's no exception to that understanding. None. So we are in the belly of the beast. Right? And we're going to have the brunt, the brunt of the capacity for which they're going to try to continue to oppress people. Get ready, because they are. They are. What happened January 6th? And that was black, brown, indigenous people storming Congress at that time. We had bodies all over the Congressional Plaza. Is that right? Anybody deny that, that the possibility? That if we want to storm Congress, as they did on January 6th, you don't think they would mow us down? Why didn't they do that to them? Why? Come on now, talk to me. Because they believe in the same ideas of white supremacy. That's why. They may not have liked what they did, but it wasn't opposed to the idea of what they was doing. Alright? What was they doing? They're trying to nullify the black vote. That's what they're doing. And no kind of black vote, this idea that the black vote is going to liberate us, and no kind of black vote, right? They're trying to nullify us. Because we don't matter. Alright? We don't matter. Black lives matter? Not according to them. We don't matter. So our vote don't matter. And they try to nullify our vote. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. It's real. They're serious. Right? They have told us at that time they're going to engage in a war to continue to maintain the idea of white supremacy. Now, this is not the first time that we have had this kind of confrontation in this country. What was the first time? Anybody know? Give me an idea. So I heard, I heard. Somebody, somebody whispered something. What did they say? Civil war, yeah, civil war. Civil war. Civil War was a question about what to do about black people. That's what it was. Some people want to keep, people, keep black people in slavery, chattel slavery, and others says, no, we can do something better. Right? To maintain the union. What about to keep black people alive? Well, not keep, they had to do that in order to maintain the union. All right. So always the question, what to do about black people in this social order that we live in? Brown people, red people, Yellow people. All right. Keep that in your, in your mind. Keep that in focus. Keep that understood. Right. That everything is based upon the idea of white supremacy. I'm gonna keep saying this over and over again till we, till it's, it's, it's part of our daily vocabulary. When you wake up in the morning, you say white supremacy. <laughs> you're a better night. White supremacy. We have to understand what our oppression comes from. It's not only just economics, right? It is this aberrant, this aberrant philosophy, this aberrant idea 
that's supported by a belief system that at least, at minimum, we say starting in 1492, right? And continues to evolve with the Monroe Doctrine or Manifest Destiny. Continues to evolve, right? Because they continue to evolve. And this idea of knowing that they have to compete and knowing that they have to, not so much compete, knowing that they have to oppress or suppress the idea that white supremacy is an aberrant philosophy. When I say aberrant, I mean crazy. It's crazy. But any person, any group of people, to believe that they are superior to any other people on the planet and act in that capacity, and act in that capacity, have the capacity to copper bomb, copper bomb people. Copper bomb. And say that it's okay to do that. To annihilate people. He says it's okay to do that. The Aztecs, the Incas, the Cherokee. Right? It's okay to do that. Hiroshima and Nagasaki blow up whole cities. It's okay to do that. Right? What they did in Iraq, right? Killed a million people. A million people. It's in, in two months. Cover bombing. It's alright to do that. And we're silent. And the world's looking at us. They're waiting for us. They're waiting for us to liberate ourselves. To liberate ourselves. And a part of that process is we have to decolonize our mind. We have to decolonize our thinking. Right? We have to come to recognize that we have been assimilated into a system that does not operate in our best interest. Come to that realization. Now, I said we've been traumatized, and we are. We are traumatized people, we are a traumatized nation. Now let me put this point also in terms of white people. They're also traumatized. How are they traumatized? Because they believe in, a, in an ideology and a philosophy that's patently false. They manifest in that ideology and that philosophy that's patently false. They're living a lie. That's how they tell me that. Right? And it's our responsibility, it's our responsibility to tell them that. To tell them, yo, white supremacy is a lie. And if you believe that, then you're a liar. Right? It's against God and nature. Why? Because in my book, God tells us that he made people in different cues, different hues, different colors, different tribes, so they get to know and learn from one another and not have enmity and hatred for each other. I believe that. I hold that to be true. Right? Because when we do so, we all grow. We all evolve to be better humans on this planet. They're destroying the planet, people. Right? Y'all heard about global warming and et cetera? They're destroying the, they're destroying the planet. If they kill people, annihilate people, annihilate people, 
annihilate people without a qualm, without thought, without second thought, for the purpose of profiteering. What the hell they care about this planet? That's how aberrant the philosophy is. That they destroyed their own heritage. And I mean that by their progeny, the future, generations to come. The old people, they'll destroy the planet. That's why they're trying to find some place else to go. Right. Some other place to go. Right. Mars or the moon or. <laughs> they're trying to find some place to go. Because they know they destroyed this planet. And we're the only ones who have to save it, boy. We're the only ones. Right? We only can save it. We have to decolonize our thinking. We have to decolonize our minds. We have to build programs, like people's programs, across this country. Why is it building programs across this country? Because in, in doing so, we began to create a new methodology in which we began to empower ourselves for our own freedom, for our own liberation, for our own true independence. Being independent of white supremacy. Being independent of a capitalist social order. So I asked the question, do you have the will? Right, remember I said, you got to have the will? You got to have the will to do so. You have to believe that this is your destiny. All right? Individually and collectively. All right? Why individually and collectively? Why individually and collectively? Because we have a social system that depends upon you being individualized against one another. And the competition against one another. That's the reason why we have problems with our struggle today. Right? It's difficult for us to build unity amongst the various progressive organizations. It's each of us sit in their own silos, in their own fiefdoms, in their own ideas that I got the answer. So we don't cooperate with one another. And that's the result of being indoctrinated into a system based upon competition. And we don't even realize it. So how much we have what? Assimilated. We internalize this idea. Internalize it. Sometimes not even realize that we have done so. Again, that's why we have to go in the process of decolonizing our minds, decolonizing ourselves. Decolonize our thinking. Right? It's hard. It's difficult. That means that everything that you've learned from the time that you said pledge allegiance to the corporation, I mean uh, to America. That's a corporation. Why did I say corporation? <laughs> oh, because 28 U.S.C. 3002, Section 15, Section A states the United States is a federal corporation. Oh, what? I pledge allegiance to the corporation of the United States of America, United States of Corporation. Right? And so that's what we do. And they hide. the Constitution is the, 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 the corporation's uh, um, uh, uh, bylaws and constitution of the corporation. If you need anything about the middle corporation, you know you got to have bylaws, you have the constitution, so forth, so on, how the corporation operates. That is the United Constitution. That's the bylaws. That's how it functions. That's why the 13th Amendment is what it is. Right? And the other amendments of the Constitution. Right? Some of them they accept, some of them they work with, some of them they don't. More often than not, those who affect the benefit of black, brown, and indigenous people, they don't. Right? 
Because in uh, 1877, I think it was, they brought the 14th Amendment. Oh, let's talk about the 14th Amendment for a minute. The 14th Amendment created conditions from which persons born in the United States will, sit, be, will, be, will be, uh, 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 become a citizen of the United States. Right? Why did they do that? Remember I said earlier, that everything, most everything that goes wrong in this country is based upon what they go do about black people? That was the first thing was about. What to do about these black folks? Right? And so they imposed a condition of citizenship. Not, not really, I mean like second class citizenship. I mean, you know, citizenship on black people, 14th Amendment. And black people never had opportunity to determine whether they want to be a citizen. Or whether they want to go back to Africa. Or whether they want to establish their own homeland. Or whether they want to be a citizen. No choice. It was imposed upon you. Complicit. We are accepting of someone else's idea of what you should be or should not be. Right? 14th Amendment. 15th Amendment was right to vote. Who let out the right to vote? Both of for black men. Right? But, you know, they're negating the vote now when you know it in, in January 6th, right? We have to understand, we have to read these documents, these, this, 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 Constitution and understand it in this historical context how it came into existence. And you see, for the most part, for the benefit of white supremacy, and not for us. All right, and so, <clears throat> how much more are we going to talk about? Keep going? All right, keep going. And so, uh, let me just, I'm going to try to wrap this up, right? I went all the way to 1492, 1861, 1865, 1877, I went to 1968. Oh, 1966. I was teaching a class in Africa, uh, Black History class, right? And uh, it, was, it was approved class. And I started in 1861, like I did today, right? And I raised this all the way up to uh, uh, 1966. And it was important for me to go to 1966, because what happened in 1966? Yeah. October 1966. Yeah. Black Panther Party came into existence. Right? And it came out of a vacuum now. Right? Black Panther Party did not come out of evolve out of the vacuum. It came out of a legacy of resistance in this country. A legacy of resistance, we're gonna talk about resistance now. A legacy of resistance. And resistance started way back, way back. Uh, that's just, that's just, that's for something that we truly understand. Armistad. Right? What happened to Armistad? Right? They overtook the ship and said, we're going free. Right? Quincy Adams won the, the Africans their freedom and then went back to, I think, the Ivory Coast. Right? Resistance on slave ships. Years of resistance on plantations across this country. And they don't teach us, right? From who? Uh, Gabriel Prosser, Denmark Vesey, the great Reverend Nat Turner, Harriet Tubman, Fannie Lou Hamer. Marcus Garvey, the greatest organizer that we know of, right? He organized black people in the United States. Latin America, the Caribbean, 
Africa, and also in England. And just to give you some context of that organizing in 1920, right, I'm taking us all the way from 1920. When he was organizing, UNIA, right, United Negro Improvement Association, he come under the scrutiny of a particular agent of the FBI by the name of J. Edgar Hoover. Right? And he focused on what Marcus Garvey was doing and could not find a way to undermine the work that he was doing except for infiltrating his organization. Right? And they couldn't get a criminal uh, a crime out of him, so they gave him a tax evasion crime. They put him in federal prison, and after they put him in federal prison in, 18, in 1925, he was sent into exile. Right? Why is that important? Because in 1966, when Black Panther Party came into existence, they came up with an idea of COINTELPRO to suppress the movement. Right? <clears throat> and COINTELPRO had some specific goals and objectives they wanted to achieve. And I won't read them off, and I won't talk about them, right? And I'm going to go back to my story about me being in Attica. To prevent the coalition of militant black nationalist groups, an effective coalition of black nationalist groups might be the first step toward a real Mau Mau in America, beginning of a true black revolution. Who's the Mau Mau? Anybody know? Where was the Mau Mau? In Kenya, right? And they fought in Kenya, and they liberated themselves from the British, Right? They had the first black president, the first African president, they come with Jomo Kenyatta, Kenya. So what are they trying to prevent from happening here? A real revolution. All right. To prevent the rise of a messiah who could unify and electrify the military black nationalist movement, Malcolm X might have been such a messiah. He is the model of the movement today. This idea of the messiah evolved from his relationship or his struggle against Marcus Messiah Garvey, who brought us one legacy that we hold on today dearly. It's the what? The flag. Red, black, and green. That's our flag. Raise that flag. But that is our history of resistance in this country. All right? Let's go. To prevent violence on the part of black nationalist groups, though counterintelligence, it should be possible to pinpoint potential troublemakers and neutralize them before they have to exercise the potential for violence. Hold up. Wait a minute. What are we talking about here? The word neutralize. Remember that I said language is very important. You have to understand our languages, right? Language is important. Neutralize means to what? To terminate, to annihilate, to kill, to end. To destroy. That's what happened to Fred Hampton. They neutralized him. They had the golden just to kill, to neutralize, before you even engage in violence, before you even broke a crime. Do we understand that? And they did so. Many black Panthers murdered in the streets. In the streets, murdered in the streets, right? By selling the newspaper, right? By establishing free breakfast programs, 
by creating the ideas of that we need to have better health care so we establish health centers in our communities. The Black Panther Party was the one who created the idea of researching for sickle cell anemia. That wasn't even on the map. But they want to neutralize us. All right? Destroy the party. So, I ain't finished the rest of this. Y'all can read it and get the book. <laughs> so I'm in Attica, and I'm teaching these young boys, right? I had Bloods, the Crips, JDs, right? Gangster Disciples in the room, a bunch of gangsters, wannabes, right? And we're kicking it. I get to 1966, and what do they do? <laughs> they close the program. I'm doing all the approved program. Go ahead, just teach you black history, right? We get to 1966. So I'm talking about Black Panther Party, they closed the program. They put me in isolation for four months. What was the reason for it? They said, you was trying to make these guys into revolutionaries. Huh? Oh, so you wanted to maintain the idea of being criminals, huh? Gangsters. So they go back in our community and kill our own people. They have no problem with that. None whatsoever. But you teach them to be liberators, to be emancipators, to be abolitionists. Oh no, we're not having that. Yeah, they put me in the box. Four months for teaching the class, for telling the truth. What I say about white supremacy? They're liars. Right? They're liars. Malcolm X once asked a question in, the, in uh, his presentation to Messages uh, 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 Grass. Message to the grassroots. And he raised the question to young people Who taught you how to hate yourself? Who told you how to hate yourself? That's not back then. Right? It made you understand to what degree you have been what? Assimilated into a system that dehumanizes your very existence. That's why we got to go back to what? Decolonizing our minds. We have to go back to decolonizing our minds. We have to become what? What we got to become? What do we got to become? We have to become more liberators. Ain't nobody going to liberate us but us. You can't expect white folks to do it, they ain't. Can't depend on them to do it, they're not. All right? We got to have the desire, the will, to do so. All right, so that is the gist of this book. This book is a DIY, right? It's a do-it-yourself manual, right? Read the book. You take a study, a few people to study it. Follow. How you be surprised what you can accomplish if you have the will to do so? Right? Build you a cadre. Find what are the needs of the people. That's what Black Panther Party did. Right? So from the masses to the masses. That's the principle. Right? Learn what the people need that the white supremacist government is not providing. Okay? That we have a system as a, a corporation. Right? And let me just add a caveat to that. And then I'm going to move on to 
what we did after I was in the box for four months. The corporation, there's a case called Citizen Action, or Citizen, Citizen United. Citizen United, Supreme Court decision. And in that decision, it stated that corporations are people. That's what it said. Corporations are people. So now when you read the preamble, the Declaration of Independence, and so forth, right? And they're talking about for the people, by the people, and all that rest of that bull crap they're talking about, right? And they're talking about sentient human beings. They're not talking about flesh and blood human beings. They're talking about corporations. All right? Person asked me a question about uh, I wrote in the book. I got two things in uh, two pros in the book. Uh, one called Obama Mania and uh, uh, Obama Nation. All right. And of course, I asked me, why is why you talk about Obama like that? Give me why. <laughs> yeah. Give me why. Because he functioned in the behalf of the corporation for other corporations. Other corporations. So the government functions in a capacity as a corporation in the behalf of other corporations. That is their people. We are not. We are slave wage earners. We are slave wage earners. They profit off our labor, as they do around the world. Right? The 740 billionaires, remember talk about them? Yeah, new people. Them. And we're complicit, again, by our silence, by our do-nothingness. All right, so understand that, all right? The corporation of the United States functions in the capacity of other corporations, and we're complicit because we continue to allow the corporations to function in the capacity that they do. Look at that, all right? So I'm in the box, <clears throat> and I wrote a proposal to my comrades in the industries. Uh, one by the name of Jihad Abdul Mumit. He's the chairman of the Jericho Movement. Jericho Movement is an organization that I established back in 1998 uh, with my dear comrade Sophia uh, Bukhari, Asif Bukhari, and Baba Herman Ferguson. Uh, now, now deceased. All right. And Jericho been in existence since then. It's the premier organization of function and capacity of talking about the issues of political prisons in the United States. I can talk about that too, but we'll let that go. In the United States. So I sent my proposal to him. I said, listen, it's time for us to bring the international jurors back to the United States. We have brought them back in, in, 18, in 1981 after I had organized when I was in San Quentin. I established another program called uh, another uh, campaign, it was the UN, UN petition campaign to the United Nations. The first time that a petition from prisoners was heard in the United Nations in the book, right? Dealing with the issues of political prisoners and questions of what's going on with prisoners in the United States. And the international jurors came in and they told the United Nations, yes, they are political prisoners in the United States. All right? A lot of people said it, they're prisoners in the United States. I'll give you one before I continue. Let me just make this another uh, caveat. Uh, there's some comrades here of mine, um, uh, Merck and Robert, right? And also Leslie, um, who were part of my building that UN campaign back then, right? They assisted in that development. They were, at the time, they worked for PFOC, Prayer Fire Organizing Organization. 
right? And uh, they supported this initiative that I did back then. They've been supporters of me ever since. Stop, staunch revolutionaries. Okay. So we brought back the international jurors. They came in, they determined, they interviewed certain individuals, right? And they determined that political prison exists in the United States. So I had an opportunity at, at one point, I think it might have been Merck that gave me the opportunity, told me that, hey, we had a, a journalist in, in France uh, who would be uh, interviewing uh, at a press conference for the first black ambassador to the United Nations, a guy by the name of Andrew Young. And they asked me, they said, is there any questions you want to ask Andrew Young? I said, yeah, one question, one question only. Ask him, does political process exist in the United States? That's the only question I wanted to ask. Right? The journalist asked the question, and Andrew Young answered, yes, perhaps thousands. And for, asking, for, for answering that question truthfully, he was, called to, he was called to the carpet, to the White House, under the presidency of uh, Jimmy Carter. Right? And he told him, shut that down. Shut that down. Right? Google it. Right? Andrew Young, political prisoners, right? United Nations in Paris, Paris conference. They'll come up. It was all in the New York Times, or they they, ooh, they went after him. And then he said something in support of Palestine. That's when they kicked him out of office, kicked him out of the uh, uh said, no, you too old. You got to go. Alright? Because he's opposing, he opposes Zionism, right? Another form of imperialism, right? Racist imperialism. Okay, all right. So <clears throat> I'm in the box. I sent this, this proposal out to my comrade. I said, man, we need to bring the international jurists back, right? Uh, so we need to resurrect the idea to build a push in the United States and they continue to strengthen our struggle in that capacity, right? And so they came to, uh, came to uh, I sent it to uh, a jihad people met. He brought it to another one of my comrades, Seku Adenga, right? Another BLA, political uh, person, right? And he brought it to another comrade, a guy by the name of Matt Myers, who had little extensive uh, contact in the international community. And he decided, no, we're going to spread, we're going we're to build this out, Jamil. We're going to turn this thing into issues of genocides. What? Fine with me, right? That's what we did, right? We wrote a petition, we wrote a petition to the international community, said the United States is engaged in the process of genocide, all right? October 2021, we had the International Tribunal at Malcolm X Benishabaz Memorial Center in Harlem. Memorial Center is the place where Malcolm was murdered, which is used to be called the Audubon Ballroom. Right? Perfect place to hold this tribunal, this international tribunal. Right? That international jurors come in. These, these, these known international jurors, people who are known around the world doing human rights work, establishing themselves with various international organizations, NGOs, including the United Nations. And they sat and they listened to 30 witnesses and boxes of documents reviewed. And they determined, after our, our petition to them, the United States has found guilty of genocide against black, brown, indigenous people. On issues of mass incarceration, issues of police killings, issues of public health inequities, 
the issues of environmental racism and the issues of political prisoners. All right? Five charges. United States confirmed guilty on all five charges. There is a white out on it. I don't say black out. There's a white out on it. The news ain't touching it. All right? The first time in history the United States has been found guilty of the charge of genocide by a esteemed body of international jurors. It's historic. Why is it historic? Because in December 17, 1951, the great Paul Robeson, some of you may have heard of him, the great W.D. Du Bois, some of you may have heard of him, the great William Patterson brought the first charge of recharged genocides. That was December 17, 1951, about two months after I was born. All right? The FBI prevented Paul Robeson going to Geneva, Switzerland, to argue the petition. William Patterson was in the, he made it over there, received the petition, they tried not to bring him to have him come back to the United States. Bring the charge of genocide against the United States. We successfully, on October 25th, 2021, had a decision, a verdict. The United States is found guilty of genocides. Historic. Let's talk about that. Because now we're not going to deal with the issue of, 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 of the corporate entity of white supremacy, dealing with the entire fabric and practice of what they've been doing for black people, brown people in this country for 400 years. Genocides. We suffer genocide. And you want to continue assimilating the system that continues to practice the idea of genocide against us? Just, just, keep, just, keep, just an idea, right? Listen. Some of us don't even know what genocide means. What does that mean? Do you know what you're talking about genocide? What, what's a genocide? How do you even spell it? Well, let's talk about that. All right? The 1948 Convention of Genocide states Convention. Genocide means any and all the acts are committed to intent to destroy in whole or in part, a national, ethnic, racial, or religious group, such as killing members of the group. Maybe killing us. Anybody denying that? Maybe killing us. Right? Causing serious body or mental harm to members of the group. We've been traumatized for 100 years. Deliberate inflicting on the group conditions of life calculated to bring about its physical destruction in whole or in part. I'm going to stop right there. I'm going to say this here. White people live twice as long as black people in this country. Why is that? How did that come to be? In whole or in part, destroying black people. In the last 50 years, black people's population in this country has not risen behind 13% of the population. From 11 to 13% in the last 50 years. We ain't even grown as a population. As people on the, on, in this social order. In the 3,000 by 2,000 miles that we call the United States. Actually, the real name is Turtle Island. We don't, 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 don't know about the indigenous. All right? What happened? I see signals. You good? All right. <laughs> I got peripheral vision, bro. <laughs> Imposing measures intended to prevent births within the group. Sterilization. 
Christianized women, black women, indigenous women, Puerto Ricans. They got a case going on down in Chinchilla uh, prison right now about sterilizing prisoners without their consent. They had 20 years ago a big struggle in Puerto Rico where they're sterilizing uh, uh, Puerto Rican women, right, in numbers, preventing their births. Like forcibly transferring children of a group to another group. We know they did this with indigenous people, indigenous people, right? Swallowed babies, Native American babies, gave them to missionaries, trade them off to missionaries, cut their hair, changed their names, took away their culture. Today, go look at the foster care system. How many black and brown babies in the foster care system today? Why is that? What happened to those families? In whole or in part? Yeah, they're guilty. And we're complicit by our silence. Oh, wait a minute. You can do something about that. The following are punishable or shall be punishable. Genocide. Conspiracy to commit genocide. Direct and public incitement to commit genocide. Attempt to commit genocide and complicity. The genocides. Oh, wait a minute. Let's, let's take it a little bit deeper. United States, 18 U.S.C., 1091, Google it, informs you that the United States has on its books genocides to be against genocides. Right? That's the treaty to the 1948 convention. All right? That's the treaty to the United States convention. Genocide. It's only United States books. It's in their federal records. It's in their federal books. They're not supposed to do this. All right? And what we're going to do, we're going to file a lawsuit based upon the verdict, the international jurist verdict, that the United States has been found guilty of genocide. It's black, brown, we're going to file a lawsuit on that. And we're going to charge the United States for failing to follow his own laws. So we know they ain't going to charge themselves with committing genocide. They're not. But we're going to use this as an organizing tool to raise the question, raise the issue, very similarly to how uh, our civil rights movement used uh, our cancer versus tobacco, uh, our tobacco cancer, or the board of education versus tobacco cancer, right? That broke open, allegedly broke open the ideas of segregation in the school system, right? That created a whole movement behind that. That's how we're going to use this case moving forward, right? Found this lawsuit and use it as a tool for which you educate people how the United States has been complicit, at minimum complicit, in the form of genocide. That's how we're moving forward. And in the process of doing that, we're going to begin to, we're going to, begin to build what we call a people senate. I'm tired of living in the system of genocide. I'm tired. I'm tired of it. And I'm not fighting the Lord. And, you know, when I was 19 years old, I was engaged in the struggle that I was engaged in, right? Uh, just jump back just a little bit, right? Black Panther Party had rule number six, that no Black Panther Party member can join any underground organization except for the Black Liberation Army, rule number six. So when the Black Panther Party came into existence, right, they already knew that at some point in time we have to engage in armed struggle, that we have to fight back. I already talked about the history of resistance in this country. Right? So the legacy of the Black Panther Party at that point in time came from the idea of armed struggle, came from that idea of resistance. 
right? It came from the idea of Robert Williams and his book, Negroes with Guns. It came from the idea of the African Black Brotherhood, right? All revolutionary, black revolution who fought against the Klan. It came from the idea of Dickens for Defense, right? Who were armed ministers and pastors who protected the civil rights movement. It came from the idea of us fighting back in these riots that went on, these insurrections that went on throughout the 60s and the 70s. That we have to have the capacity to defend ourselves and defend our community. And that's what we did as young people back then. Right? And that's why they came up with COINTELPRO to destroy that movement. Right. Keep in mind the Black Panther Party was a youth movement. There was no one at the, in, at the initial organizing the Black Panther Party was over the age of 30. It was 30 years and younger. Teens, 20s. They believe in our people. They love our people. They just want to sacrifice their lives for our people. And we fought hard, fought hard. Many of us sacrificed our lives. Some of us went in exile, like our grand sister, our solid Shakur, our sister C, solid. Or I'll be, and like I said, I won't have a, 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 a webinar uh, with the Venezuelan comrades. Sister C is going to be on that webinar with me. She and I will be the panelists. Right? Yeah. yeah. We have to resist. Right? We have to resist genocide. They're killing us. And it's deliberate and it's intentional. And now we have recorded that the international community have come to agree with us, right? Based upon the history, based upon the wealth of information that's presented to them, undeniably. But the next is engaged in genocide against black, brown, indigenous people, and it's time for us to put an end to it. Period. I'm done. That's not for me. Right? I'm 70 years old. I'm 70. I've been fighting for all of the years. Right? Oh, I have so much more. But I'm 70 years old. And then, see, let me just add one more, one more point, just a little point. Right? I just lost my mom last month, right? Terrible, terrible, terrible loss for me. Never lost for my family, right? I got a hole right here. will never be filled. There's a vacuum here. Never be filled. My mom was a giant to me, right? My mom was a dancer, uh, young dancer, African dance, right? Uh, and she used to come home and teach African dance to me and my sister. Right? We used to do that thing. Right? African dance and stuff. Yeah. We used to do it. And one thing she said in terms of our African African dance, she used to tell us, listen, you're not a Negro, you're not an N-word, you're not a coon, you're of African. You're of African descent. Right? You're of African descent. That was my identity growing up. Right? We have to have grasp our identity. Hold on to that. We are of African descent. Right? My grandfather in the, in the bottom guns family came up with the idea of Kwanzaa. When Kwanzaa came up, he made it part of an African tradition in our family. Kwanzaa. Right? It's part of our breed in our family. That's why that boy right here is. That man right here is. Alright? Yeah. It's in our breed, it's in our family. We gotta hold on to that tradition the best we possibly can and pass it on to our children. That's what I'm saying. I'm not fighting for me anymore. I'm fighting for the babies. 
the next generation. Right? This struggle is not a sprint, it's a marathon. We've been engaged in this struggle for 400 years. Remember I said Amistad? We ain't stop. All right, tied it all together. We ain't stop. But now we come to an idea, now we come to the conclusion. The conclusion is this, this country is engaged in genocides. Right? And the world, the international community is waiting on us to get busy, to end this system of carnage that's been going on for 400 years around the world, from the time of the Aztecs and the Incas, to the enslavement of the Africans, to the sterilization of Puerto Rican women, to the annihilation of Native Americans. Let me just add one more point to that. Uh, my great-grandma, my great-grandma, she's a Muskegee Creek out of Alabama. My grandfather, a Maroon from Jamaica. Uh, I'm going to tell you a story, a family story. Uh, right before, I got so many stories. <laughs> right, before, right before I uh, uh, was uh, paroled, from, uh, from San Quentin. My grandma came to see me, right? Came up with her son, my Uncle Joe, right? And uh, she said, listen, boy, it's the last time I'm gonna see you, right, because you may go to New York, and I know I ain't gonna see you again. I need to tell you why you are the way that you are. I looked at my uncle, said, grandma I'm talking about? She's gonna tell me why I am the way I am. She said, Uncle Joe told me, said, be quiet and see grandma. Said, okay. And so she told me about the story of my, my grandfather, my great-grandfather. How he came to Georgia, he got into trouble, right? Then on the Indian Trail, he traveled the Indian Trail, he met his wife in Alabama, and he got into trouble, right? And then he moved to Louisiana, right? And established his homestead in Louisiana. And when my grandma told me, your, your great-grandfather's getting in trouble, the implication was, oh, okay, I know what he's talking about. I know what time it was in them days. Right? She didn't have to explain it more further than that. And when he got to Louisiana, he changed his name. So I have nothing. I'm at the bottom. I changed my name to Bob. That's how the family got the name. Bob. All right? So she said, listen, here you are, going around this country, getting into trouble, and changing your name. You just like your great-grandfather. Okay. I'll get that. I accept that. All right? That's our story. That's my story. All right? And so for me, for us, I think it's time for us to begin the process of decolonizing our minds, decolonizing our thinking, right? Understand the history of this country. It has never been, it will never be, never be a country working in the behalf of black, brown, indigenous people. It will not. It works in the best interest of white supremacy. As they will continue to do so for as long as we permit it. As long as we are silent, they will continue. That's all I'm going to
when I say free the people, y'all say free the land. Free the people. Free the people. Free the people. All right, we're going to get started. That's how I got to get people attention. Call and response. Uh, so we here. Y'all kind of have, uh, I know we got three mics up here, but can we keep it down? One mic, please. Appreciate it. So we're here in, uh, in Black August, a very significant month, a very significant time period where we're studying, fasting, fighting, and training as an organization, you feel me, to uh, evolve ourselves uh, and become stronger, revolutionary, stronger organizers. Uh, so my question is, what's the importance of Black August? Uh, what's your connection to this month? And, and again, if you could just talk about like, the, the significance uh, of Black August, Comrade George and his comrades who, who made the uh, ultimate sacrifice for us to be here in this room. Yeah, um, Black August was created by Black August. Black August was created by uh, prisoners in California prison system uh, back in 1978. Uh, what happened was in August 7, 1970, brothers button I have here, Jonathan Jackson. 17-year-old, the man-child, man -child, uh, the brother of George Lester Jackson, made a heroic move to try to free his brother. He went into Moraine County Courthouse with weapons to free two other revolutionaries by the name of William Christmas and William McLean. He took over the courtroom, and another individual was there fighting for his own case. They asked, do you want to come? His name is Rochelle McGee. Rochelle McGee is the longest held political prison in the country today, right? <clears throat> As they were leaving the courthouse, uh, the California Department of Corrections and, and other uh, law enforcement decided to barrage uh, the van that they were in and killed everyone. Everyone except for Rochelle. Rochelle survived. Right? Michelle went to court and he was found not guilty of killing the judge. They hid that decision by the court, by the, by the jurors. And he's in prison today, today, for a crime that he has been found not guilty of. This is not unusual with the United States court system. We have other people who's in prison innocent. Right? <clears throat> a year later, October, I mean August 21st, 1971, his brother, George Lester Jackson, allegedly attempted to escape from San Quentin Prison and he was murdered, he was killed. Right? Very dubious issues were happening with that case. Right? We have, really haven't found out the real, what happened in that case. 1978, a brother by the name of Jeffrey Katari Golden, Golden, G-A-U-L-D-E-N, Golden, was playing some uh, uh, football in a little small yard in the Justice Center in San Quentin Prison. He fell and hit his head on concrete, cracked his skull. They let him bleed out, and he died. He had inherited the, uh, the leadership of the Black Gorilla family, all right? Uh, was the Black Gorilla family. 
Black Guerrilla Family were black prisoners who found the necessity to come together to defend themselves from being murdered by the Aryan Brotherhood, neo-Nazis, and prison guards all right, in California prison system. They're being killed, being murdered. I told you, genocide. Right, they kill us. Yes, they do. They kill us. Right? <clears throat> and so they decided to come together, black little family, and honor Jonathan, George, and Qatari. And when they did so, they started looking at the history and finding that other resistance was happening in the same month of August. Or other noted issues happened in the same month of August. Right? Like Nat Turner's Rebellion was in August. Right? Like uh, the birthday of uh, Marcus Messiah Garvey was in August. Like the revolution of Haiti initiated in August. And so they began to evolve a, an understanding that this is a good month for us to celebrate or to at least acknowledge and honor those who were resistant, our resistance. Right? And we came with the idea of Black August. Black August has been going on for now almost 50 years. Almost 50 years now for these brothers inside prison. And so we initiate, when we support and engage in the practice of Black August, fasting, right, studying, exercising, and basically testing our wherewithal, our self-discipline, to discipline ourselves and reground ourselves in the understanding of our struggle. That's Black August. Right? What's the importance of having self-discipline as a, someone who's trying or trying to be a revolutionary, or with the goals of being a revolutionary? What's the importance of self-discipline? Natural, natural self-discipline allows you to strengthen your, your moral character and your, your moral foundation across your political belief system, or what you actually believe in. Right? It serves to where you check yourself before you wreck yourself. Right. It allows you to really go in deep and find out, you know, what is the your real metal, you know. Uh, and for those of us who are Muslims, we fast through the month of Ramadan. And for many of us, especially in the hot months, ooh, it is hard. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard to go without water and food for, you know, from sun up to sundown, right. And so uh, they decided that they would do this for the month of August. Uh, taking some, I some of the questions from the, the month of Ramadan and uh, added to the political context of our struggle. And uh, yeah, self-discipline is extremely important. It allows you to really get into inside yourself and see what is your strength and what are your weaknesses, right? When you find your strength, build upon it. When you find your weaknesses, try to change them, right? Try to make them strong. We've heard you talk about uh, Frolinon. Uh, throughout your the speech earlier, can you, can you break down for for the people what sure. it is and why is it important to the new African independence movement? Absolutely. Um, Folanon means front for the liberation of the new African nation. Right? I took the, the name from another movement uh, in Africa during the late 60s and 70s. Right? Folimo. Front for the liberation of Mozambique. Right? <clears throat> and that's where the name, the origins of the name come from, from my thinking. Right? And the idea that, yes, I believe that we as a people in this country need to be liberated, need to establish our own nation 
in this country. <clears throat> Why I say that? Because the country is consistent of the other nations, right? There are sovereign nations already existing in the United States. Sovereign nations, right? Native, Native sovereign nations. They exist in the United States. But because of white supremacy, they're not able to really enjoy the idea of them being independent sovereign nations. <clears throat> so let's understand that, right? Second of all, as I talked about the 14th Amendment, right? We never had an opportunity to have what is called a plebiscite, a plebiscite vote. Plebiscite vote gives a people who have been liberated the opportunity to determine whether or not they want to become part of that nation, right? Develop their own nation, right? Develop their own nationality, right? The U.S. Declaration of Human Rights states that every person, let me see if I can find it here, it's in the book. It says here, everyone has the right to a nationality, and no one shall be arbitrarily deprived of his nationality or denied the right to change his nationality. No one. That's what I should do right. I got a human right to identify myself as a new African. Right? To denounce the idea of that I'm American just because I was born here. Right? I denounce pledging allegiance to the corporation. Period. Alright? And so, in 1968, there was an organization uh, called Republican New Africa. Well, there was a group of individuals uh, in Detroit, 500 revolutionary nationalists in Detroit, had a meeting at the uh, uh, church of uh, Reverend Franklin. Who's Reverend Franklin? Reverend Franklin is the daddy of Aretha Franklin. Aretha Franklin's daddy was a Garveyite. He supported the ideas of Garvey. So they had a meeting at his church, and it was raided. A 15-year-old guy by the name of Mutulu Shakur was there at that time. And it is known that he saved a couple of people when that place was raided by the cops. All right? And the purpose of that meeting was to establish what he called the Provisional Government of the New Africa, of New Africa 1968. Uh, some of those people went to, went to prison, uh, and others went into exile, and uh, others got away, you know, did no time, and so forth, okay? And so the provisional government of Africa continues to be a formation in the United States. Unfortunately, it's not, in my opinion, organizing itself as it could be, right? And I thought that perhaps we need to build something as uh, a supplement, right? You know what's about supplements? You know, take your vitamins, you, take, you eat your food, you take the vitamins for a supplement, all right? So I'm thinking about creating Foley Non, Front for Liberation of African Nations as that supplement, right, as an organization. And you'll find it in the book. The book talks about the Foley Non, Front for Liberation of African Nation. It gives you a whole new program, uh, decolonization program, uh, three-phase theory for national independence, Right, you gotta have a theory, a revolutionary theory in order to build a revolutionary movement. Right? And we have not had a solid revolutionary theory here in the United States, right? In my thinking. And so therefore I created what I'll call three-phase theory for national independence. Right? That's part of Fortinon. And also, how do we want to build Fortinon? Right? I said, well, first of all, we gotta decolonize our thinking. Right? And in that instance, I said, let's build decolonization programs. 
where do your decolonization programs come from? Came from the Black Panther Party. Black Panther Party had a program called Survival Programs Pending Revolution. Right? That Huey Newton, Bobby Seals had put together. Right? <clears throat> so, understanding that, there's probably my thinking about that, right? It says pending revolution. Survival programs, pending revolution. I understand the meaning of it, but I think yeah, the language is important. So I said, well, let's do this. Let's develop decolonization programs rather than survival programs to decolonize ourselves and empower our community. That's revolution. All right? So we ain't pending revolution, we're building the revolution. I developed these decolonization programs. And we're going to have decolonization programs across the country. And we're going to link them together as a network of decolonization programs. All right? That's going to be the first step of find, building the foundation of the Front for the Liberation of the African Nation. You've spoken about uh, discipline, about will. Uh, we are all liberators as a section. Commitment is key. Uh, for those of us who are involved in uh, revolutionary organizing, uh, what makes a strong cadre and a strong cadre member? Uh, commitment, right? Study. You gotta have a study group. That study group has to be able to do three things. Engage in three principles, right? Criticism, self-criticism. Criticism, self-criticism. You have to be honest with yourself about your own weaknesses or failures or how your personality will sway you one way or another in your own personal interest rather than the interest of your community, interest of your cadre, interest of your organization, right? Criticism and self-criticism is extremely important. Principle to apply. Second of all, combat liberalism. You cannot be liberal in organizational structure, right? You have to be brutally honest with yourself and the movement itself, right? Combat liberals. And the third one is the correct handling of contradictions. Okay. So, commitment is a key. You gotta have commitment to do those three things. Right? Be brutally honest with your criticism of yourself and of your comrade. And when you, when you criticize your comrade, you, you, you present this criticism as if it was a gift, as if it was a present. Right? My dear brother, my dear sister, right? I need you to look at this because it may have some ill consequences. It may have some ramifications uh, uh, um, uh, not considered, right? Inconsequential uh, uh, ramifications, right? That maybe have a negative impact on what we're trying to achieve, right? Look at these things, uh, consider these things, right? Present your criticism as if it was a gift, as if it was a present, that you're honoring that person. The person, not what they're doing, but the person, all right? And the correct handling of contradictions, all right? We're gonna have contradictions throughout the struggle from beginning to end. There's gonna be contradictions, why? Because we're building something new from something old, right? We're trying to get rid of something old. That means we're trying to rid ourselves, um, um, what's what I'm trying to do? Expunge from ourselves, bad behaviors, bad ideas, right? And in so doing, you have conflict with one another on issues, right? Disagreements and understanding of what's going on in the struggle, 
or amongst yourself or with yourself, right? These are contradictions. Contradictions are dialectics, right? When I say dialectic, I mean unity is struggle for opposites. In everything, there's unity is struggle for opposites. This is how this world comes into being, right? Unity is struggle for opposites. Unity is struggle for opposites is like taking a magnet, a magnet. You have a negative polarization and a positive polarization into one thing, right? So you got to know which ones, what ends to hit, whatever. Two, two negatives together, they'll repel against each other, right? Put a negative and positive together, they'll stick together, right? Those are the understanding of these contradictions, right? And the correct handling of those contradictions will lend to a better result. Okay, so uh, commitment is key. Uh, in forms of that, you have to have the commitment to engage those kind of practices, right? In order to build a strong, durable relationship, right? Political relationship with cadre. Is somebody from Pelican Bay? Huh? Is somebody from Pelican Bay? Pelican Bay? Yes, brother. Yeah, I can hear you. Who am I speaking to? Contribute to that newspaper. 
Uh, we have what's called the Christian talk, great Christian talk, Army Spirit that I put together back then, Army Spirit, right? We need to develop a new, uh, another uh, newspaper or a newsletter, right? So far, Congress is at prison and make sure that every support group, Christian support group in the community gets a copy of that and distribute it into the, into the community as far as wise as possibly can. Communication is important. If people don't know the struggle, then they have no way that how they can help them build on that struggle. So you gotta keep people informed of what's going on, right? But even as importantly, and I say this over again, when the brothers come out, they gotta get engaged. They can't go to different places, different things, and not be involved anymore. Um, and naturally, uh, file your lawsuits, build them based on your lawsuits, right? Um, use, use law as, as a tool, right? But more importantly, and, and more things that I can say over and over again, promote your struggle by any means that you possibly can. Right? Make sure the brothers, make sure the people in the streets know what you, what's going on inside. Right? If you have the comrades outside, then make them be your spokesperson. Make them be your representative on the outside. Right? So they can go step to these individuals and organizations and ensure that your word is being heard. Right? That's what we did with Jericho. Okay, we're political prisoners. Right? Uh, when I had Sophia Bukhari, uh, Sister Sophia Bukhari, who was a staunch revolutionary, she just traveled from state, from state to state uh, and speaking in the name of political prisoners and, and building for them. You all need to have, have the same thing. You got to have an outside representative who has the authority to speak for what's going on on the inside. Right? And you also need to have your words, your words also told. That's why I say get you, get you a newsletter. Put together a newsletter. Get the comments, put together a newsletter and uh, have your words being put out there and promoted uh, in an organized form. I hope that's helpful. Crowd, I'll bring the mic to you. 
All y'all got questions. <laughs> Don't be scared. <laughs> All right, brother.
right? Euphemistically uh, uh, stated, right? And so we have to figure out ways how to get that out of our system to build more cooperation, right, and unity. Right? Cooperation and unity is the opposite of individualism and competition, okay? And so we've got to have the will to do so, right? Uh, generationally. For old heads, right, it's hard to talk to these young boys or these young women, right, these young people, right, because they ain't trying to hear what the old heads are talking about, especially if they ain't doing nothing, and they're just talking, okay? So you do by example. By example, don't talk about it, be about it. Okay? And let them see what you're doing, say what you're saying. Right? And if they're doing the work, the young people are going to look at that and say, yo, right? Pop's doing the work. You know what I'm saying? You know, and then you can recruit them, you can bring them in. Right? Because these young kids, they ain't stupid. Right? Well, mm -hmm. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying, though, right? Uh, I used to be young, so I, I know what they used to do, okay? And so, it's important for us to show them by example, okay? You just ain't go on the street and start preaching to them, right? If you ain't got no pamphlet, if you ain't got no leaflet, if you ain't got no program, ain't trying to hear what you're talking about, right? And I respect that, because you ain't talking about it. Uh, if you say talking loud, you're saying nothing, as James Brown used to say. You guys wouldn't know nothing about that. But talking loud, and saying nothing. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying, bro? So yeah, show by example. Right? And if you do that, they respect it. You got, you got a brother back there? I see. Hey, 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 Ayana, Ayana. Let me get it. Make a couple statements. Um, I recently got, you know, I got last last year, this year, what we did for homeless strikes, you know, with the AB, Nazis, Mexican Mafia, we all got together. I did 20 years in the home. But for, for what I believe, what I think, and how I think, yeah. right? Like you said, we took it to court. Yep. That's how we got out. That's right. We took us up. Uh, we were still in court. They still thought us. Sure. You know, this brother, this brother, and this brother, we all was in the hole together. Right. You know, uh, when I came home, I started an organization called uh, Giving Back. Okay. The Farming Crossway Giving Back. I've been putting in a lot of work, you know. Beautiful thing. Get a brother hand, hand. Yeah. Then we became together and said, no, 
I mean, why, why, why are we trying to kill each other? Yeah. You know, we're not real enemies. One of the head, uh, not nobody, from my next door neighbor. Yeah. You know, and it's cool. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. I mean, he see what he was, like you said, corrupt thinking. You know, he realized that. Yeah. He couldn't come out and say it, we all got together and said, look, we know who the real enemy is. We have no power back here, but we have the power to do to do the right thing. Right. And that's what we did. We came together. Right. We can do the same thing out here. Right. You know what speaks. I, I ask you, I ask you to do this, my my, my my comrade. I ask you to tie your organization with other organizations. We can right? try to do that. Build that base. Tie right. your organization with other organizations and grow. Right? Because they, number there's number there's power in numbers, right? And the more numbers, the more people you get involved and engaged in, the more power you have. Your voice will become louder, right? Uh, use social media. I don't know. Well, I write for open posts. Okay. I mean, I'm telling you, I might have read some more. I've been writing for like eight years. Okay, great. Before I even came home. Great. I, I had a giant back for the baby before that. Okay. You know, it was like maybe 20 years ago. Um, and I kind of stay active in that, in that regard. Okay. You know, I have a great economy in the open post. Right. Thank you, bro. I appreciate you. Hey, first of all, I just want to say it's an honor to see you here after all the years that you did behind those tombstones, solitary confinement, general population. So I was one of the younger uh, organizers, one of the new Africans that he was talking about. Solitary confinement was funny to some of the people, white supremacists that kept these brothers in there for decades for the worldview. When they, they got these books from George Jackson and them, Solidarity Brothers, they was putting in solitary confinement for just their worldview, not because of a crime. So these elders are still incarcerated, so this is why we gotta liberate our elders. I just want to stipulate some of the focal points for our five core demands to liberate our elders. Anybody over the age of 50 should be considered for expedited release immediately. Anybody that has, anybody that has suffered an ailment that could lead to their death should be considered for expedited release immediately. Anybody who has been incarcerated for 25 years or more should be considered for expedited release immediately. Anybody subjected to indefinite punishment based on violation rule reports, which are currently being treated as felonies by the parole board, those who have suffered the consequences of double jeopardy should be considered for expedited release immediately. And last of all, not, not last but not least, end civil death by indeterminate sentence. When you talk about George Jackson, he had one life in determinate sentencing. So you got brothers like Satala, Abdul Shakur. These are California political prisoners, and y'all can look on social media, you can look in the Bayview. California prison folk has been around for 35 years, and we still, I'm now the director of California prison folk, because I just did 18 years in Pelican Bay, and six years in the feds. I tell that story through the culture and arts. And this is one of our elders. When I look at this book, Liberate Our Elders, I'm strategizing. So when he talking about building cadre study groups, this is what we was doing inside and we creating a parallel society. The agreement to end hostility is now inside the schools. I got a fourth module while I'm teaching this curriculum. So thank you for your time. Thank you for showing up.
in an area of five cells in the shower with two TVs blasting all day long. And everybody was bringing in there was individuals who were detoxing or suffering some kind of schizophrenia because they couldn't be in, in, in population. And the only reason why they held me in there was to the prison. That's the only reason why. Right? Two years ago. Torture. Torture. Right? I managed to get out of that with some degree of sanity. Some people say I'm crazy, but with some degree of sanity. Right? Yeah. Uh, you have to have, the, have, have the, the internal fortitude. The internal fortitude and have purpose. Right? And you get through. Right? Our comrades just talked about who's in the uh, 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 Pelican Bay doing a hunger strike. Right? Surviving that? Yo, it's torture. Right? 20 years of solitary confinement? Torture. Yeah, that's what they do. That's what they do. That's the system. They engage in torture. Go Google, go Google, uh, 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 go to YouTube and, and look up legacy of torture. Right? It deals with the San Francisco 8 case. Where they tried, where they did, in fact, tortured some of my comrades to try to make them turn. They failed. Except for one. Right? And that's a whole other story, and I don't want to get into that, but yeah, that's what they do. You got to have the internal fortitude. The discipline, we talked about earlier about discipline. You gotta have the mindset that you know what your purpose is. Your purpose is, I'm a revolutionary. That ain't gonna break me, period. That's the mindset, that's the discipline. That's the arrogance you got to have. Right? And the belief that you have that you're gonna be about something substantial. Your life will have meaning. Your life is gonna have meaning. Right? And if you have that, move forward no matter what, bro. And we as a people, 400 years, come on, man, we're so strong. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we are. Yeah? Even some they try to de deny us our own humanity. We manage it. We manage. We continue to push on. We need to unite in terms of our identity. We don't have our identity yet as being new Africans. Right? That's the next step. That's the next step. When we get that, we are free people. We will free the world. What was the second question? It was two part question. That's right. What was the second part? The second one was how did you revive those whose souls had been crushed and the torture and the conditioning had worked on them? Teach them. You only teach those who want to learn. Right? You only teach those who want to learn. If they have the capacity, if they have, if they have a question, have an answer for them. Right? But that means what? You got to learn. Right? At one time I had 500 books in the cell. They used to hate coming to my cell, search my cell. They made it two or three hours, tear my cell apart. Take me another two or three hours, put it back together again. Yeah, I had 500 books at one time in the cell. I studied voraciously, read books voraciously. Right? That's why I was able to write this book. I got another book out too called Escape the Prison, Fade the Black Essays and Poems. Right? And so, uh, being able to write, discuss the issues with people, and write about it. Really go into, you know, what is your contribution? What can you, what, do you have something to say? Do you have something to say? Get it out there, say it. Right? Because if you have something to say, there could be somebody who want to hear it. Somebody who want to hear it, right? So for me, it was those individuals who wanted to learn something, 
And if I had the capacity, the capacity to give them the answer, I would do so. And I'm not afraid to tell people, I don't know. Let's go Google it. <laughs> or let's go find out. Let's go do some research. Right? I ain't no problem saying I don't know. If I don't know, I don't know. Right? But what I do know, I'm going to tell you. Right? And then it's up to you to either accept it or reject it. Okay, we got to teach, bro. Each one, teach one. Okay? Thank you. How many more questions you want to do? Uh, how many more are there? All right, let's do that. Four. Four. Five. No, no, I'm sorry. Five. All right, let's do five. Five questions and we're done. All right, I got to eat. Ourselves if we continue to allow ourselves to be oppressed. Right? 
That's the first thing. Knowing that you're oppressed and how kind of what trauma that is bringing to you, what injury and harm that's bringing to you, right? And then we begin the process of decolonizing our minds, decolonizing we begin the process of healing ourselves, right? We're not no longer being uh, taken uh, that mess, you know, uh, as if it's normal, normalizing our own oppression. Right? So that's part of the process. Yes, uh, read the book, um, um, The War Before, by Sister Sophia Bukhari. It was my comment when we started the Jericho movement, The War Before. She talks explicitly about the processes of healing ourselves, that revolution doesn't have the time to do some healing, self-healing. Right? Yeah. Uh, so <clears throat> find that place, that sanctuary, create a sanctuary where you can go to. Right? And do some rediscovering of yourself, your strength and your weaknesses. Right? Rediscovering of yourself and then get back engaged in the struggle again. Right? The struggle heals. The struggle heals. Right? To not struggle is to be complicit in your oppression. Uh, hello, thank you for talking to us. This has been like amazing. Um, one of my my question is um, about your your uh, three points that you brought up earlier, about your three principles, and the second one combating liberalism. Yes. And my question is um, if you can give us a really good definition of what liberalism is, how it um, affects us as a people, as Sometimes you got to be that bad person. 
right? But you do it with love. Do it with the idea that you have given your person or yourself a present, a gift to grow and develop and become a better person. All right? Failing to do that is liberalism. But I suggest for an even more uh, poignant, more defined definition, read combat liberalism by Mao Zedong. All right? Read that. I'll give you all the explanation you need. Combat liberalism by Mao Zedong. Question? Peace. Thank you for speaking. Thanks for the people's programs for doing the work on the ground. Just had a question about um, the study groups and the book clubs and whatnot. You were talking about to help folks organize. I was wondering if there's just a few books that you could suggest that could like get folks fundamentally, you know, engaged and maybe have some help them with a political analysis. Just a few simple books, maybe, please. A few simple books. Where do you want me to begin? Uh, Mao Zedong, uh, 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 V.I. Lennon, Kwame uh, Nkrumah, uh, 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 Huey P. Newton, uh, Malcolm X, uh, Sophia Bukhari, uh, Jalil Mutakin. <laughs> Asada Shakur, right. Uh, yeah, uh, Maroon, Maroon, right. Uh, there are a host of books you can read, right. You go read a Milkar Cabral, right. I'll read a Franz Fanon, these are authors, right, who, who has books. Uh, all have books, yes. That's dumb. <laughs> that was dumb. That was dumb. That was dumb. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, get those authors, right, and read their books, okay? They are, these are individuals who, at least, who have, read those who have been revolutionaries. Read the books of revolutionaries, right? That's the process, right? Those who have been in it to win it. Read their books, right? Not those who, not the, I'm not saying don't read the professors and, you know, those, Armchair revolutionaries, right? They have some. Some of them have something to say. That's of value, right? Even though they don't practice it, right? They have something to say. They're historians and stuff like that, right? We have to. We have to ground ourselves in history. As, as you see, when I was in my talk, I always go back. I go back. I go back. Because there's always a reference in history that has some significance uh, to our contemporary times, right? And so, uh, but read those individuals who was engaged in the movement at some level or another, right? Read George, Comrade George. How are you doing? So I've had a chance to study from you a few times, attend a few classes. Um, so I know I've heard you speak about it, um, but I, I definitely would like for the, the whole crowd to hear you and just always enjoy hearing you speak on um, and, you, and you mentioned tonight about fighting for the babies, right? And, and this idea of um, that's what we're working for, right? Is the future. And so I would love for you to speak on the importance of educating our youth, uh, specifically our babies, like and around schools, right? And this idea of, uh, you know, liberation schools, this idea of um, our own schools. So I would love for you to speak on that. Yeah. Um, 
I think I may mention, I don't, I don't know to what extent, but um, I, I live in Rochester right now, Rochester, New York. Rochester is known to be the second worst school system in the country. Rochester is also known to be the worst, the second worst uh, uh, system of city of poverty uh, in, in, in the country, right? I am, I work for an organization called Citizen Action, right? Nonprofit, they do good work, right? And they allowed me to become, when I got out, they said, well, did you know, we'll get you a job. And first when I got into the job, they doing things, I said, man, I'm not doing that stuff. And so they gave me a title and gave me an opportunity to do some other work. So I work in regards to education. Right? And one thing I've been working on more importantly is what I call mobilization for public education. Because they're trying to close, they're trying to end public education across the country. Right? And up, big up these private, private schools, private education, and, uh, um, and the charter schools. Okay. So <clears throat> for us, it's important that we try to build up support for public education right, in whatever capacity we can, and when we can't, to build up what we call liberation schools. Right? Find like-minded people who have the education, has the educate, or who are educators, right? and who has also the political wherewithal to want to establish a homeschooling kind of thing, start with homeschooling, build it up into liberation schools. Oh, she said that? Okay, yeah, good for you, sis. Right? and start your uh, liberation schools from that point on, right? What I'm trying to do is change three things, actually four things in the school system. Change the composition of the teachers. Because in Rochester school system, has primarily white people teaching black children. That's a disconnect right there, right? Because automatically they bring inherited biases into the classroom, right? Automatically, right? Second of all, change the curriculum. Because they've been teaching our kids a Eurocentric curriculum. When they're not in it, they don't see themselves in these schools, in these systems, or in these, or in these academic systems, or, they, or these curriculums that they're teaching our kids, right? Based upon, and give you an example, I know a brother asked for a book, get the book, The Miseducation of the Negro, by Carter G. Woodson, right? That's a fact, right? And thirdly, right, we want to make sure that the school budget, the money that schools have, is used in accordance to the needs of our students. I remember we were forfeiting, right? We need to get sociologists and psychologists in these schools, black sociologists and psychologists, because our kids have been traumatized, right? They go to school traumatized, right? And we need to have, our schools should be, our schools in our, in our communities, embedded in our communities should be a village for our babies, right? She said, every resource that our kids need should be in them buildings. But that means we need to have control of schools. Right? We need to fight for control of these public schools, our community. They should become community schools. We're going to call them public schools, maybe community schools. Right? And if we do that, we change the trajectory. We change the, 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 the dynamic. The, we change the paradigm. That means the model of how we teach our babies. Okay? So public schools, could be better, should be better, but only if the community is engaged with the public schools. That includes parents, guardians of these kids, right? They have to be more involved, more engaged. I used to hate my mom coming to school if she could say about what's going on with me, right? Hate it, and she used to come, right? But she used to come not only to cuss me out, but cuss the teacher out too. <laughs> That's how she was, 
Alright? Yeah. That's how we have to, have to be proactive and not reactive. Alright? Liberation schools, yeah, build them up, bro. Can we start off with uh, uh, home teaching and we go from there? Any more questions? Are we done? Well, I think we'll on to um, I have a question. How do you recommend that we balance the fact that we're in a state of emergency and that developing that group thing that you talk about takes like a bit of time? Um, like even from an Islamic perspective that we as Muslims operate on a concept of time that's not necessarily of this world. Um, and yet still this like dunya worldly sense of time is something that's used to pull against us. Do you have any recommendations on that? Uh, yeah, that's that's saying a whole lot, sis. A whole lot. As Muslims, we have a responsibility. <clears throat> and I don't want to get too deep and too heavy on it. Allah spoke about the other says that Muslims are supposed to be vice chairs of the planet, vice chairs of the earth. Right? We have a responsibility. We have a duty by our Lord to take care of this planet. That's our responsibility as Muslims. Right? Vice chairs of the planet. Right? It's in the book. It states that. Right? So that means that anything that we see going wrong, we should correct it. Right? And put it on the Surah the Muslim. Right? If we can. Right? Allah also tells that He judges about our niyyah, our intent. So we have to have the intention to do the right thing. Right? To do the right thing. Right? And unfortunately for us, and I'm not saying for all of us, but for many Muslims, right, they find themselves divorcing from the material world, concentrating on the spiritual world. Right? They just want to make sure they get to the Jannah, right? get to paradise, get to heaven, right? by insulating themselves. And that's the reason why Muslims are always attacked, right? always being confined, being, being curtailed, right? contained. In there goes the agenda. Um, let me add. Let me add something else on, on a bigger, on a bigger worldview. There's three worldviews in, in in power power views on the planet, right? Capitalist imperialism, socialist communism, and Islam. Right? Judaism Christianity is hooked up with uh, 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 Judaism. Uh, Judaism Christianity is hooked up with capitalist imperialism. And each one of these belief systems has a desire to be the major ideological, political, economic, social foundation of the planet. Right? That's what the wars we got going on in the planet today, based on these three worldviews. Alright? So <clears throat> we have to figure out some kind of way how to develop those ideas and worldviews that become universal. So we want to take the universal ideals, the universal moral ethic and ethical principles that are good for each and combine them and make them operate for all. Okay? That's what the duty of the Muslim. Right? And that's one another brother asked me how to survive prison. I'm a Muslim. Right? I have an obligation to my Lord to do this work. I'm obligated. Right? Now, I'm not saying I'm the best person in the world. Mm, far from it. Right? That's my own self criticism. I don't want to talk about that. I just want to talk about, like, my, talk about my sins and stuff like that. Right? But that's my reality. You know what I'm saying? So, as a Muslim and as a revolutionary, as a new African, right? 
first of all, make sure you understand what your place is on this planet, right? Even if you're just a mother, teach the babies to be better, right? If you're a teacher, teach their classroom. If you're just a worker, right? Join the union, right? Find the methods and means for which you can engage in struggle wherever you are. Because right, the system of being down engaged right now, it is corrupt to its core. It has been from its, from its initial beginning. They've been engaged in nihilistic savagery, barbarism. That's what capitalist realism is. It's savagery and barbarism. Tell them what it is. If you see the, the amount of death that's been perpetrated as this system of capitalist imperialism, if you really look at it, Bloodthirst. It's terrible. You know, it's terrible. So yes, there has to be a correction. We have to do a, a correction, right? Uh, in terms of our understanding our own common humanity, our universal humanity. Right? We are people on this planet. Right? We are species on this planet. Another species on this planet. Right? And we have an obligation to protect the planet. And we take the planet, we protect the people of the planet. I don't know if that answers your question. I hope it does. Right. But yeah, there are three worldviews on this, the three major worldviews on the planet. Right. And we got to figure out a way how to, I would say, integrate them, but find out the best parts of each and couple them together so they be the ones that we live by, right? that we're governed by. I love. Yeah, I'm about to close out. I was okay. going to say, um, if you didn't get a question answered tonight, I suggest you read his book because it's all in here. Um, also, listen to the five Hella Black podcast episodes he didn't been on because uh, this is all there. And I just want to say, he spoke a lot about um, commitment, about will, and about healing. And at People's Programs, that's what we're trying to do. All the things that he's speaking, we're trying to bring into life through our decolonization programs. And so all the teachers in his book come to life through our programs. Um, and so you don't even gotta go out and get creative. You ain't gotta go out and get creative, you ain't gotta think too much. You can just pull up next door and come organize and work with us. All it takes is an hour a day, an hour a week uh, to get some of that healing, to test your will, uh, to be determined. Uh, and I just wanna thank Jaleel for, for being here today. Y'all know he flew in this morning and pulled up. Uh, and came and spoke in front of y'all for three hours. And so if this is not a testament to what's possible through determination, through will, through commitment, 50 years behind bars and to be here in front of us, I'm just honored. Let me say something. Wait, 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 wait. Stop, 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 stop. You are supposed to be honored for being here. Look at all those who's not here. You've made that commitment to be here. Right? Honor yourselves for having that kind of commitment, having that kind of determination. Take your time out of your life to come here and listen to this old man talk about some stuff. <laughs> All right. Jaleel is one of the most humble people I know, as y'all can see. But <laughs> it's very important we give him his flowers and, and uh, thank you, you know, for the sacrifices you made. I got my family.